Hello and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. All right, this week's episode, we are going to be diving into a Kennerspiel nominee, Challengers. I didn't get a chance to play it, but Natasha did. And then Mm -hmm. I finally got an opportunity to have Natasha play Eclipse. The specific version we played was Second Dawn of the Galaxy, which is the second edition. There's some minor rules changes and stuff like that, but for the most part, it's the same game. So we're actually going to be reviewing that. And for our discussion topic, we're just going to keep on with uh, board game mechanics. We thought talking about 50 mechanics in one segment of a show was going to be enough, but turns out that (laughs) is not the case. We (laughs) We need more time. The other thing is normally this episode... Or at least what we did in the past. This episode, we've done like a like an origins kind of preview, kind of a deal because this is the week of origins. If you're listening to this on Tuesday. I'm not packed yet. I'm gonna pack Wednesday morning. And we're gonna leave Wednesday. <laughs> if you're listening to this Wednesday, chances are I'm packing, and getting ready to hit the road. <laughs> you strike me as the type of person that packs like ahead of time. Do like I super ahead of time? Yeah. Yeah, you just, the way you get like so, uh, what's the right word for it? You get so like worked up about traveling, you know, about like, oh, we need to get to the airport six hours before the plane takes off just in case, you know, that kind of stuff. But No, I don't think like that. Only when we drive to Chicago because it's such a drive to Chicago and there's just, you can run into so much traffic. That's only, that's only, and it's not six hours. It's just a few hours. It was like four. You were like, let's leave by this time so we can get to the Chicago airport by four. Well, well, it's such a big airport. You have to you have to park and shuttle in. So they say like three hours, which is more than enough. And then it's like a three hour drive. So I'm like, well, we got to have a little extra time just in case the drive slow. So I just, I like, I add cushions to every like step of the way. And so then it ends up, yeah, I end up being there a few hours early. Like earlier than I needed to be. It's It's, it's like with everything. You end up sitting at the terminal, and the flight pre- before the flight you're taking is still sitting there just boarding. So now you're just waiting and waiting. At I the am terminal. working on not showing up as early. The last flight I did, I was like, I'm just going to, now I have TSA pre check, so I don't need to wait. I don't need to get there early at all, just enough to get, you know, get there. And last time I was like, I just, I factor in how long it's, you know, what time I want to get there, then what time. I, you know, how long it's going to take to get there. And then if I need an Uber, you know, I want to make sure that they're not late and I get up a little early. And anyways, last time I did that, everything all added up. Everything was early. So then I ended up being like an hour early. I was mad at myself because I am working on trying to be there at the correct time and not early. So I don't waste my time. Well, that's good. Let me ask you this. Your suitcase Mm -hmm. before a trip, when do you pack it? The night before. It is the night before? Mm -hmm. Okay. Sometimes I'll prep my clothes, like I'll get my clothes out, make sure I have enough clothes um, ahead of time, because just in case I need to go shopping. Or do laundry, I guess. That could be a thing, too. No, Um, no. Because the clothes I wear, I have clothes that I wear every day, which are dirty and need laundry, Um, and then clothes that I wear on vacation, which are clean because I don't wear them. I have to try them on, make sure they still fit. Are they two different sets of, like, wardrobe? Do you have, like, vacation wardrobe and, like, everyday wardrobe? No, I have at home wardrobe and like going out wardrobe. I just don't go out very often. So it's mostly just at home wardrobe. <laughs> Fair enough. So you get, okay, you get done with your trip, your vacation, you come home. How long before your luggage is completely like taken care of? I, well, when was my last trip? 
I don't know. You travel a lot for work. Like yesterday. It was was the weekend that we all hung out. I went to um, Cleveland that week. And so that was a few weeks ago. Right? Are you talking about I, when are you talking about when we played like Crusaders and all those games? Up yeah. at the cabin or whatever we did little, mm-hmm. That was like a month ago. Well, so a month is how long it takes. <laughs> I cleaned it up Sunday. <laughs> Cause it was I think it was raining. It was raining. <laughs> yes, it was raining. So I was like, I'll, I'll do my laundry and put that away. Put my suitcase away. I'd gotten most of the stuff out of the suitcase, but I fin- finished. That is uh yeah. Okay. I mean, that's a, I'm, I'm, you're not alone, I don't think, in that, but that just still you, living out you of take suitcase. Care of it. You take care of it as soon as you um, get home, don't you? Oh, for sure. Are you kidding me? I don't want to have to deal with that next day. I you get home my... next day. You can deal with it like three weeks from then. Nah, I'm not doing that. No, no, that's not the <laughs> type of show I run. My wife does something very similar to you. Ashley does that, where she'll be like living out of the suitcase still, but it is, it, it... <laughs> so I, it just makes me laugh. I before I bring my stuff upstairs to my room, I do take all the I separate my dirty clothes and my clean clothes before when I pack up. So then when I get home, I take all my dirty clothes, throw them in the laundry room, and then I just bring my clean clothes and toiletries up to my room. And that's what sits there for a while for a while. My dirty clothes, I wash them right away. Well you have to. They're like your everyday wear, right? No, this is my travel wear. Oh my bad. My, my nice bad. clothes. My nice clothes. Yeah. Yeah, which I typically don't wash. So I, even the stuff that's not dirty, like even the stuff that I wore isn't always dirty, so I don't have to wash it all. But hmm, interesting. All right, how about we talk about some board games, huh? Let's do that. Yeah. Let's transition yeah, from like traveling. Anyway, real quick before we get into challengers, this is the week of Origins. If if you guys are listening to this, you guys are going to Origins. Find us, you know, pull us aside, ask to play a game with us. We would love mm-hmm. it to play Didn't some games. Send us an email too. Yep, we'll meet up with you guys. We'll as long as we can make it work, we'll play a game with you. But Let's talk about Challengers. Okay. Challengers, it's designed by Johannes Kenner and Marcus Slauschek. The art is by Jeff Harvey, published by One More Time Games and Z-Man Games. So this is a war-style game, Capture the Flag. Uh, you, it plays up to eight, and you, and you divide it up into two by... It's two by two, and you then throw up, you play seven different rounds and vary in with different players that you're playing against. So you start, everyone starts off with a hand of cards, a few different cards, and then each round you add a card or two to your hand. You shuffle up your cards and you basically play war uh, with your opponent, whoever the, your opponent is that round. And uh, it's capture the flag is what they call it. And all you have to do is meet or exceed their card. So if you play a one and then, um, or let's say you play a two, you've got the flag. And then now I play a two. And, and by playing a two, I'm not picking a two out of my hand. I, I have a deck of cards I've shuffled up. I'm revealing the top card. So we're, we're both surprised when I reveal a top card, what it is. So now I flip over a two. Now I've won the flag because I've m- tied with you. So then in, in order for you to then beat me, you have to beat me with a two or higher. So then let's say you flip over a one. It's not high enough. So then you have to flip over another card. You add them up. So if you flip over another one, now you've got two. You've met me. So now you've captured the flag. So then it's my turn, but I only have to beat the top card. So all those cards you might have played before to get to beat me, they don't count. Only the top card counts. And basically we keep playing until uh, one of us either runs out of cards or runs out of room on our bench. So each time, each time your opponent has beat you, then you remove those cards you just played, you put them on the bench. 
and then you play new cards. So if you run out of room on your bench, so there's six slots on your bench. If you run out of room on your bench or you run out of cards, you lose the tournament. And then you, you add more cards to your deck, you shuffle them up, you play somebody else. That's that's the entire game. The trick, I guess, is that uh, your cards that are exactly the same can share a spot on the bench. So if you've got three of the exact same cards and all three of those get flipped over, you're not taking three different seats on the bench. You're only taking one. So really the strategy in this whole game is just to get like similar cards. And a lot of the, there's like different suits, I guess you could call them of different cards. They all kind of play well together. You know, I had one that let, gave me a point for every other car- type of card that I had. Once I have him and he's on my bench, now he's worth every other of that same card is worth more points. So I think the trick of the game is to really focus on one suit and kind of get a bunch of those cards and try to get similar exact cards where you can, they can share spots on the bench. But other than that, it's a hundred percent completely random because you shuffle up your cards. You're just flipping over the top card war style to see who wins. And then, Oh, so you play seven rounds, whoever has the most points. So at, at the end of each flag or end of each tournament, you get a, if you win, you get um, flags and then you get more as the tournament progresses. So, first tournament's not worth as much as the last one whoever has the most not flags fans are called fans whoever has the most fans at the end of the seven rounds then competes one final round with whoever has the second most and whoever wins that final round wins the game (laughs) so there are certain cards that give you fans throughout as you play them so that'll help you get to the higher highest score but they don't mean anything at the very end of the round you just have to win that tournament that's it so it kind of all comes down to that one tournament. So the game is very, very, very light. Like I have no idea why it was up for the Kinner spiel. Like it really could have been. I can see the whole spiel because the spiel does do very, very light games. But this game, I mean, it's very light. It, it's just, it's war is all it is. The strategy and the, the decisions you're making is 100% in the, in the cards that you're adding to your deck. So you're drawing cards. There's three different piles, and as the game progresses, you can choose, you could upgrade to the different piles or stronger, better cards. Sometimes you might want the lower cards because then you can hopefully find cards that you already have in your hand, the exact same ones, so then you have more room on your bench. So the strategy really all comes down to which cards you're deciding to draw. You draw five cards, you pick one or two of them, depending on the round, and you discard them. If you don't like the five, you can discard all of them and draw five more, or you can keep one or two, draw four three more cards, you know, so you've got, you can get through some decent amount of cards to have some choices. But yeah, it really all just comes down to those cards that you have. It's surprising to hear how light this game is that it not was nominated for the Kenner Spiel. Yeah, I don't get it at all. Like there's nothing complicated about it. I mean, the rules take two minutes. You just demonstrate it. It's better if you just demonstrate it than even talking through it. And all the cards has text and special powers, but it's all just text. Like you just read it and it makes sense what to do. You know, some of the cards have special powers on the attack and some of them only activate when you're on your bench. But it says that on the card. There's there's just nothing to it. I, I could see it the spiel, but not the Kinner spiel, which is supposed to be more complex games. Very bizarre. It's supposed to be the connoisseur game of the year, right? So it's supposed to be geared more towards like gateway plus level, maybe slightly higher, you know, gameplay to so for... Luckily, I didn't. I mean, luckily, I say that because it's not. It does not sound appealing to me, honestly. When I first saw that it was nominated, I was like, "Ooh, I need to check this game out," and I just haven't had a chance to check it out. And then, you know, hearing the critiques 
from game night because I showed up right when you guys were wrapping it up. I could tell it was probably not the game for me. Yeah, it's definitely not. I wouldn't I wouldn't buy this game for you at all. I, I don't think it's a bad game. Okay. Yes, it's a really stupid game. Totally stupid. Um it it it's uh, it, it's okay, let me give you the good things. It's a nice um production besides the cards. The cards are kind of cardboard like the papery ca- crappy cards I don't like, but it's got neoprene mats that you're playing to capture the flag on. That's nice. It's got nice little um things to stack your different cards in you know it's fine it's it's nice and stuff but it's just very random very lucky even if you do a really good job with your deck and you do a really good job i do a really good job we've got all like cards that make sense with our deck they're all kind of the same family of cards it really just kind of comes down to the luck of the when the cards flip over however it is fun it's a very stupid game but it is fun to play it's fun to flip over your card and go, oh, shoot, I really wanted that card like halfway through because it lets me clear my bench, but I don't have anybody on my bench, so that's worthless. You know, it's got the silly funness to it. It plays up to a large crowd. You could play up to eight and you just alternate between who you're playing with. It's really a two player game only. You're just playing seven different tournaments, um, but it, it's fun. It's it's a little long for how very light and you know random it is because you play seven rounds they're quick they probably take like a minute to play each round but there's some setup in between each round where you're getting getting more cards you can also i didn't say this you can also at any point after you draft in new cards you can discard any cards out of your hand you can remove them from your hand so you don't have too many cards which is nice so there's some decisions and what and you know getting rid of those cards but overall i can see people liking this game i can see this game at maybe like a middle school board game club. I think kids, middle school kids, teenagers would have a lot of fun at this game. You can play a lot of people. You can teach anybody how to play. It's it's fun. Like when I was a kid, I used to have fun playing war. I mean, well, I used to play war. I don't know, maybe I won't say I had fun playing it, but you know, like it's, 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 a, it's better than war, you know, because it's not just a playing deck of cards. It's like, oh, I have this cool, you know, thing is going to fight you. Like, it's, it's stupid and it's silly, but it's fun. It doesn't belong in the Kinderspiel at all. It, it overstays its welcome. I would not recommend it for board gamers. I don't know anybody mm-hmm. who's going to defend this game and say it's a good game at all. But I can see, like, mass market appeal. You know, people who don't like a lot of strategy games, you know, especially a younger crowd, like maybe a family with like a few generations, I think they'd have a lot of fun playing this. You know, you play with your kids because it's really just comes down to luck of the draw. I, it was, it was fun. I mean, maybe I did win like every single tournament and then it came down to the very last tournament and it wasn't going to be who had the most points. It was going to be who on that very last tournament. And luckily I did win it. I would have been pretty, pretty ticked if I didn't win that last one. So I had fun playing it because I won every, I mean, not to brag. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, totally break. You're undefeated in the game. I am of undefeated in this game. I will probably never play it again. Um, so I will always be the champion of this game. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Like, I get why it's popular, but it's not a good game. And I don't recommend sure. it. If you're listening to this podcast, I probably don't recommend it for you. You know, but if you have, if you're around a lot of teenagers, if you wanted a really light game that plays up to a lot of people, then I would recommend it. I'm, I'm actually going to give it. I I, I kind of want to give it a seven be, just because I had so much fun playing it. 
and it, it just wasn't it wasn't that bad hmm. interesting and i would play it again if people wanted to i wouldn't play it twice in a row what if it would ruin your challenger undefeat your undefeated status for challengers mm-hmm. would be you risky. see i it would I be risky I, I guess i <laughs> i i believe in myself i think i could do it again we'll see all right fair enough cool when I found out what the game was and I and I heard you guys playing it and I kind of took a look at it, I'm like, mm, I don't think it's for me, especially as like a Kenner spiel no, nominee. It just, yeah, seems a little bit, especially when you have like something like Planet Unknown, which I think is significantly better. It has a lot more strategic decisions in it. Based on your description, it sounds like more it should be a spiel nominee. But I think, yeah, if, if they was a spiel nominee or not nominated at all, and people played it, I think it would just be like, well, fine, whatever. You know, it's it's not as strategic as, what's that old game where you smash up, where you mash up two cards and then you fight over yeah. the, you have some little decisions there because you have a hand and you're choosing which card to play. You know, it's, yeah. it's light, way lighter than that. Um, if it wasn't up for the Kinder Spiel, I don't think people would go into it expecting something different. So if you are going to play it, you need to go into it knowing it's a game of war. And if, if, that doesn't sound fun to you. Like you need, you know, and you're still going to play it. Like just you adjust your expectations, right? You're just going to, you're just going to do this activity with people that you like and hopefully have a good time. Maybe taunt each other. You know, you can still have fun playing this game. That's the thing though, is it's a, it's a nominee for one of the biggest awards in all of board games. So even if it doesn't win, it's still going to be picked up by a lot of people just based on the fact of the category that it's in and the fact that it boiled down, it was in the top three. It is the three (laughs) that people are choosing from. And because of that, people are naturally going to pick it up expecting something. Like I would have picked it up. More of a strategic game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You didn't know that. It's not strategic at all. There's there's a little few choices that you're making, but yeah, it's a fun activity. And I could see it becoming a mass market hit if you look at the box cover, it's kind of, I think the art is really weird, like plain. I don't know. I don't I don't like it. But if you look at the box cover, I think it gives you a really good sense of what the game is like. It's not it the game art matches the style of the game. Light, ridiculous, silly. All right. So I would recommend it, like I said, to those interested in it. Probably not if you're listening to this podcast, but that is Challengers. Um, you may check it out if you'd like. I'm sure you'll be able to find some used copies at the, at the game stores or people who are selling it because they did not get what they were expecting. All right. Next up, we want to talk about Eclipse, Second Dawn of the Galaxy. This is a Euro-style 4X game designed by Tauco Tauco Calio. Uh, there are a bunch of artists lists listed, and then it is published by Lotta Pellet Games. So in Clips, players will be playing as one of one of seven different species in the game. They will be exploring new worlds, expanding their empire onto those worlds, exploiting those worlds for their resources, and finally, exterminating the NPCs of the game or even their fellow competitors. So Eclipse is going to be played over the course of eight rounds. During each round, players will be taking actions until they choose to pass. There are three different resources in the game players will be using. Money is needed to fund your empire. Science you'll be using to research new technologies, and materials allow you to build the various ships. One of the main concepts in the game is this influence track. 
And this track serves several purposes. First, when you expand into a new territory, you can place influence in that territory, which allows you to colonize the different planets, gaining their resource production. It is also how you're going to take actions. You have to move one of your influence discs off the track and place it on the action that you are taking. While you can use as many discs as you want to take actions, you need to make sure you're managing the track because at the end of the round, you're going to have to spend money to fund your empire. And the cost is the number revealed on the track. So what can you do on your turn? Good question, Natasha. Let me tell you. First, <laughs> you can explore. You reveal a tile that corresponds with an area that you're exploring into. Next up, you can research, which lets you buy tech tiles that you will now have access to. You can upgrade. So each player will have four different ship types in the game, and you can upgrade these ships with better weapons, power supplies, hyperdrives, things like that, as long as you have purchased the tech tile. Uh, you can build, which lets you build one of your ships or one of the structures. Again, if you have the tactile, a player can move from the different hexes based on adjacency in their hyperdrive. You can influence, which lets you move influence discs from your track onto a planet hex that does not already currently have a disc on it. And finally, you can pass, which gives you the first player token and you can get two extra money. So after all players have passed, you move into the combat phase which lets players battle each other, or most likely they're going to be battling against the Ancients and the Guardians that appear on the board as you explore new tiles. Uh, after that, you have Upkeep, which is going to give you your resources, and this is where you're going to be paying the cost for your Empire. And then finally is the Cleanup Phase, which resets the board. So how do you win? Excellent question, Natasha. Throughout the course of the game, you'll be getting points. You'll be earning points from combat, even if you lose. You'll gain points if you or other players have a diplomatic agreement. You can score points based on each sector you control, which is the hexes you're exploring into, any monoliths you have built and you, and you currently control. You also earn discovery tiles on some of the different tiles you explore into or, while, or when you defeat either the Ancients or the Guardians. You're going to lose points if you break any diplomatic agreements. And then players will have three tech, tech tracks on their player board and will score points if they research enough techs of each type. And finally, some of the factions will have some special scoring conditions. And whoever has the most points wins. Uh, this is a pretty basic overview of the game. There's a lot of like little details, especially when it comes to like combat and different things like that. But for the most part, that's how the game flows. So I think what I really enjoy about this game is it gives you this Euro research, uh, Euro feel in a 4X game. Uh, mostly because of how you're managing your resources and especially how you're managing that influence track i really enjoy that aspect of this game yeah there's there's not a lot of fighting like fighting and attacking is a part of this game but it's not a heavy part it's it's not like you know even like kemet where there's a lot of fighting you have to fight in this game you're going to want to get out there and fight because that's that's how you're going to get some points but you but you don't need to do it a lot so it is to me it's very euroy um i was surprised how much I enjoyed this game, especially even when when I was learning it, I was like, oh. you know, it's just a lot of like I just don't like a lot of fighting games like this. But um, but the fighting was minimal, and I was able to build up my tech, which I enjoyed, and and get strong, and and I kind of set up myself so that um, I was really powerful, so people weren't weren't um, motivated to attack me and take over my area. So I, I liked that. It wasn't you didn't have to fight a ton. You dumped all your ships into one area that was like your way into your little empire. You didn't like, you weren't that powerful. You just put all your stuff onto one hex. 
Yeah, so that, that hex was powerful. You had to get through that hex to get to the rest of my tiles. Yeah, I tried I tried forming a loop around it, but I couldn't do it. <laughs> that so you talk about fighting. So typically in 4X games there's a there tends to be a decent amount of combat. And what's nice about this game is there is combat, but you're doing combat basically to score points and to get extra uh hex tiles is really what you're doing. And most of the combat yeah. comes from attacking what populates onto the board so you draw when you explore you draw a hex you flip it it could just be a regular planet that you can move into or it's going to have uh an npc so it's going to have the ancients or the guardians and you're going to have to you know defeat them in order to gain access to that tile which that's most of the combat like yes you can like attack your neighbor or you can attack the other players but it's it's not one of those games that when you if you completely wipe them out you know they're gonna automatically lose it it's not Mm -hmm. as easy as that in order to you know you can't necessarily eliminate a player it can be pretty difficult too because they're still generating resources and they're still you know being able to build stuff Right, right. They're 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 pretty spread out. You've, you're kind of over everything, and you're only attacking in one area, one hex. And the combat yep. is a dice roll, um, which is in, it's okay. Like I I don't love that, but I don't hate it because it makes it a little bit fun. Like you could you could still win even if you don't have the odds in your favor, you know. And you kind of set your ship up so you can add, you add more basically add more dice to your ships by upgrading them, add more powerful dice to your ship. But mm-hmm. really, like, in order to get a, a hit, there's only one side of the dice that gives a straight-up hit, you know? But then you, there's ways to modify that. So it, it's... um, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind the combat and stuff. I thought the, I think the combat's interesting because you do have automatic successes, but then you have to hit a six or higher. But the dice have certain values on them, like, I think it's, like, three, four, five... And but certain ships can have modifiers, and you can change those modifiers around a little bit, which I like. Um, so I think the combat system works just fine. And there's there's ways you gain initiative based on how fast your ships are. The other thing that I like about this game, and I'm curious your opinion, because it kind of it, it involves both the tech tiles and your ships. Because when you get your player board, you obviously have those three tech tracks where you're going to be purchasing techs throughout the course of the game, and then you have essentially blueprints of four different kinds of of uh ships you have your little tiny interceptor ship you have a little bit bigger ship a little bit bigger ship and then you have a space station but it's almost like blueprint-esque where you can you can purchase a tactile and then you can upgrade those things and add it to your ship like Mm -hmm. how do you feel about that i liked that a lot that was a lot of fun upgrading your ship because your ship you have a ship and it's totally fine it's it's got a little bit of it can take a you know it might be able to take a little bit of damage it has like maybe one die attached to it you know, it's it's got a few things. So you can start off the game with having a fully functional ship, but you get to upgrade it. Now it becomes more powerful and better. And I, I like that. That was a fun part. You know, it's it's a little tedious because you have to get these. Um, what what are they called? The the um the tactiles. The tech you have to get the tactiles first. Once you get the tactiles, then you can upgrade your ship with these. You, there are some yep. upgrades you don't need tactiles for. So it's a it's a little tedious in the setup. You know, you have to get this, and then you can get this. But I liked the overall build, being able to take those tiles and now upgrading your ship. So you're kind of replacing the lower ability with a higher ability, or you're replacing this other ability. Maybe you're decreasing your speed, but now you're really powerful. You can you can decide however you want to place that. 
Yeah, we, when we played, we played with uh, um, a person that upgraded all their tiny ships, their interceptors, with basically these missiles. Mm-hmm. So th- they just built a ton of these interceptors, and they would move them all in and just like shoot all these missiles and just hope for the best and hope mm-hmm. that they eliminated their target because they couldn't do anything after they shot their missiles. They couldn't take any damage. <laughs> no, it, like it was it was fun seeing how much fun that player had doing what they did with those little ships. Yeah. You know, whereas I my perspective from those ships is they're pretty like small and ineffective. Mm-hmm. He was able to buy tech and he was able to upgrade his stuff to the point where you get eight of those in a little area and they all are shooting their missiles at you. You know, he's we're calculating odds of like how many hits he needs to get and you know how many missiles are and how many dice he's gonna throw and all this other stuff. And it was just it was fun watching that unfold. You know. Yeah. That said, it that doesn't mean you're going to win the game because you do win <laughs> no. by points, right? So there, you do have to get points in the game, and there's a few ways to get points. But I think you could lose sight of how to score points by doing some of the fun stuff. You know, the getting the yeah. tech tiles is cool because you, it does eventually like give you points if you can get high enough. And I really like being able to, oh, what's this tech? Oh, okay. Now my ships can move two hexes instead of one hex. There's, it's cool that at the end of the game, you look at everyone's player boards and they're all completely different. Every single one of their ships just innately feels different because of the different upgrades you've done. I really, I really dig that part of the game too. Yeah, I, this game is really well produced. Um, it comes with these nice trays that holds all these tiles, so it's really nice to pass them around to everybody. Um, you get these trays for your resources, the resource tracks, which are really nice, so that you have all these cubes that sit in this track, and as you move the cubes from your resource track onto the board, now you've, you're earning more resources in, in each round. You know, and, and the way that it functions is really nice. It's, it's just really well produced. All the pieces are really nice. Everything about it's really nice. I'm curious how you feel about placing the hexes and the whole wormhole situation. So when you initially start off, there's like little half circles on some of the edges. In order to move into the next space, you have to place a hex that the two half circles connect. And it's a wormhole from one sector to the next. And then you can position a tile so you can cut off people's routes towards you. Mm -hmm. I liked that because I didn't want people being able to attack me. So you I did like that's you why did I, want a turtle, yeah. Mm-hmm. I did that, yeah, and and it would have really made me mad if somebody had gotten that tile that lets them get into my region without having the wormhole. That would have really frustrated me. Soured the experience a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how you that that little facet of that just makes it so you have to start create. You almost start creating routes within the within the game, which I think is cool. Yeah, I am curious about how you feel about the tactiles coming out because it's random you have a bag and you just pull them out of a bag i i okay i don't i didn't mind randomly pulling out tactiles and that's what you get but but we never got the the tile that lets us build a monolith which earns which is a way to earn points at the end of the game and i had been saving building up because i was able to build a lot so i've been saving up my um build currency in the game so I could build a bunch of these forgetting that I needed those that tactile in order to build it so that was frustrating because that was a big part of my strategy and I should have realized that two rounds ago that it hadn't come out I think I probably would have done the same thing in hopes that it would have came out but it never did so that 
that was kind of frustrating that that one tile didn't come out. But other than that, I don't, I didn't mind the randomness of the tech. You know, just you kind of got to build your strategy about what's what's available and go from there. Each of the players are really different, though. And my mine seemed to be a really good uh, about building your ship and modifying your ship because it let me do that more frequently than the rest of them. But I didn't kind of play to that ability. So I, I should have done that differently. I, 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 it makes me I do want to play it more and more to see if I can get good at it. So that's a good sign. Yeah, that's an excellent sign. I'm I'm excited to hear that because I enjoy this game quite a bit. The the random text stuff, it's a little unfortunate because it's one of those things that you would it would almost be nice to just know what text you have available, but it also changes the flow of the game. You there's times that certain tactiles are going to be available and other times where they're just simply not. I know in the game we played, monoliths was a thing that didn't never came up, so we weren't able to construct those. So you lost out on those potential victory points. The other thing is there are planets that you can colonize for their resources that are more advanced, I guess, and you need a tactile in order to be able to place a cube on those. Mm-hmm. Well, there's one in particular, like for me, I was struggling with cash flow and all the planets that I was around that would produce money had that and that that tactile never showed up. I needed a tactile to be able to like colonize those those planets and it just never showed up. So mm-hmm. I was kind of left wanting to do this thing that it just it just didn't the tile never came up and if it did somebody scooped it up before me because i don't ever remember seeing it because i remember keeping an eye out for it and it just didn't show up but there was one additional tile that let you it was way more expensive but it let you upgrade all of them that one was available but i think probably only one of them yeah there's definitely some randomness with the games you've got the 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 dice rolls right during combat that's very random can be mitigated and then you've got the randomness of the, the tech tiles coming out, what's available to play each game. And then you've got the randomness of the cards, the the hexes, the territory cards that you're you're flipping over and putting yep. out. You know, if you're yep. looking for something in particular, you know, that there's randomness with that. The randomness to the points that come with that. Some of them come with ships, and if they're there, then you can attack them. That's cool. You know, some of them don't. Some of them get resources. Some of them are worth one point, you know? Yep. So there's definitely, it's a lot of randomness for such a heavy euro. Do you consider this a Euro game? Yeah. I or would. do you think it blends the gap between both Forex style and Euro game? Yeah, it's a Forex Euro game for sure. Yeah. But I would still consider it a Euro game. Fair enough. I do like how each faction is slightly different. It, and there the thing is the the differences between them are somewhat subtle. They're not a super game breaking differences like for example my my the species I was playing allows me to do the explore action twice, so I was able to go to a spot and then go to another spot. But all my ships are slow, so I'm always going second in combat. You know, I, if somebody came into my territory, they would just decimate everything. Like I wouldn't be able to even keep any of my planets. But I scored extra points for all the all the sectors that I controlled, so I got a little extra bonuses with that. I know another player when they were doing the explore action instead of drawing a single tile and placing it, they could draw two tiles and pick whichever tile they wanted and then placed it. So it's these little extra things. Yours allowed you to do three ship upgrades instead of two. So they're not game breaking. They're just enough to make each faction feel slightly different. Mm-hmm. You kind of want to play towards your strength. Yes. That's that's what I love about player powers and games is I have the strength. How can I exploit it? I love trying to figure that out. Yeah. 
I struggle with it because in this this style game, I'm like, I'm going to build and try to ignore people. And my player power didn't. I would have liked your player power. That would have gone really well with the way I played the game. So in, sure. in this instance, I don't like having to do a style, a strategy that I don't like doing, you know? Yeah. But going into that now, I know I'll try to either pick a p- player power that I enjoy that goes with my stra- stat- uh, style, strategy style. Or I'm going to try to adapt and do something different, which I can I can do that. I can change. I can do things differently. I can try new things. You can? I can. I can try. You can try to try, to try to try new things to try? Mm-hmm. I'll make an effort. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm good to hear. <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't sure if you were going to play this game just based on the style of game it was. I was hoping that you would you would play it and I was hoping that you would enjoy it because it does, again, it does feel so much more Yuri. It just that influence track does so many different things, you know, because you're, you want to go out to all these sectors and you want to populate as much as you can because it's points there, right? But mm-hmm. then you can't do more actions later on because you're not, your income is so low. So yeah. you're, you're trying to balance all the, like, how many actions am I going to take? Do I need to make sure that I pass first to get that extra two money so I can actually pay for my empire? It's 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 really interesting. Um, so I got you to play it. You said you would play it again because you want to get good at it. Mm-hmm. What are you going to rate it? I'm going to give it a seven and a half. Ooh. I can't give it an eight. I don't I don't love it, but I do like it quite a bit. And I'm open to playing it again. And I think I would enjoy it more the the better I got at it. If I could get find some good strategies and get good at it and learn the game a lot more, I think I could really enjoy it. I had fun playing it. That's I, awesome. I could see that score going up even higher. That is all I could have ever hoped for. I don't have the new version, so I don't have all the cool fancy game tray stuff. I have the 2011 version, so I have the yeah. older version of the game. And there's some slight differences. Uh, they've changed up some tiles. They've changed up a couple things. I think they went down to eight rounds instead of nine in the new version. So there's there's a couple differences, but nothing like super different, I think. The biggest you're thing is you're not going to have copy. the trays. Mm. I don't know if I would sell my copy for a new copy. The biggest downfall is the trays are going to make it a little bit more difficult to find the text that you want. Honestly, that's going to be the biggest thing that sucks. Ooh, you could get those 3D printed. And we know a guy. So there you have mm-hmm. it. I'm coming mm-hmm. in at an eight and a half. I, I'm teetering between that and a nine, partly because I wish there was a little bit more combat in the game. There's a little bit more combat. I think I would like it more. But because there's less combat in the game, I think Natasha likes it more. So this is a 4X game that her and I could actually play. So, yeah, yeah I really I really enjoy the game. Like, if you're a fan of Euro games and you don't like Amerithrash games, I think this is a game you should at least try. It's not nearly, it's it's not as long as, let's say, a Twilight Imperium. It's not as long as some of those big style 4X games. I can't tell you that the game is short because it's not. It's a longer style game. But even mm-hmm. us playing it with four people, two people brand new, needing the rules. After rules teach, it was what, maybe three hours? Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't feel terribly long. Like it 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 was fun. I think what happened was we were just like, oh, it's this time already. And as we were like wrapping it up, we had we didn't have a very good concept of what time it was, which is always a positive thing in my opinion. But I think if you like those style games, I think you should give this a try. I think it's I think it's a really solid it I think it 
does a really solid job of bridging the gap between a Euro and an Amerithrash game. So that is Eclipse, Second Dawn of the Galaxy. That is going to wrap up the games we are reviewing this week. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to be going into part two of Unknown How Many Parts and discussing (laughs) (laughs) board game mechanics. All right, welcome back. We're going to continue our discussion about popular game mechanics and and how we feel about them and some games that go along with those mechanics. So we've made it to D. We might be a little bit, this might take a while. I have to tell you, from from the side of the content creator, the person that has to come up with ideas, you know, like you come up with ideas for the show. You write them down, and then sometimes you're just like, do we want to do this idea? Do we want not want to do this idea? We'll find questions on the internet, but they're not quite long enough for a segment. Sometimes it's just kind of nice to know we have the next so many episodes wrapped up into a topic. You know, yeah. I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> hopefully we're, hopefully, yeah, hopefully it's good and you guys enjoy this, but. Oh, I, I didn't, I didn't, see, I didn't put the bar that high. I just meant interesting. <laughs> Worth <laughs> <I> listening to. <laughs> good enough i guess yeah <laughs> all right first up a popular mechanic i know bob you love this so do i drafting so there's different types of drafting we've got open drafting and then also there's action drafting where you're drafting not like you know typical games when you think of drafting you're drafting cards action drafting is when you're choosing the action that we're going to do and you see that in like grand austria hotel rising sun has action drafting where you've got a few actions to choose from you pick one you know, so there's there's drafting with the cards, there's dice drafting, and then there's like action drafting where you're drafting your action. Yeah, I really enjoy drafting. It's like I it it's up there as one of my favorite mechanics, I think. There's just something about it, and I don't know if it specifically has anything to do with the fact that the other thing I do is I play Magic the Gathering, so there's obviously a lot of like booster drafts that you can partake in. And I haven't done those in years, but I don't know. Part of it is just the enjoyment of that. I've always liked it. Even when I did like fantasy football and stuff like that, I've always enjoyed the drafting process. It's always interesting to me weighing the options of what to take, what not to take. Mm-hmm. So especially something like Blood Rage, drafting is probably one of the biggest components in that game because it sets up what you're doing in that particular era. Without you know the cards, you're not going to be able to do the quests you want to do. Maybe you go into a specific region just so you can fulfill different quests, different things like that. So I think especially games like that where drafting is a good portion of what what makes your strategy. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, just something about it I really enjoy. And And I like action drafting because you're often trying to choose an action that you don't think will benefit other people. Well, like I know that you're going to want to put dudes out on the map. So I don't need to choose that because I know you're going to do that. So I'll choose something else, you know, because I need I want all of these. But which ones do I think you're going to choose? And then hopefully I'll choose one that will just benefit me. And and th- that's fun, too. And of course, I think I like all drafting. I mean, I enjoy pretty much all drafting games I've played. Something simple like Sushi Go. That's just pure drafting. That's it. You know, I like them. I like a little more complicated drafting. I, I mean, I like them all. I like drafting within a game where it's not the main mechanic. I love dice drafting, you know, coin bra. Most games that have drafting in it, I'm probably going to enjoy. I agree with that statement. It's 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 an interesting decision about, like, what do I want that's going to benefit me the most? But also, like, you like to hate draft, which means you take something just because 
um, somebody else is going to take it. I don't like to hate draft. I have to do it because you choose not to do it. So I know <laughs> the packet of cards I'm sending to you, Jeremy is still going to get the card that he wants out of it. So I need to make sure that I'm both taking cards away from you and him because you won't do it. That's the problem. Yeah. That's the I, difference I, between you and me. I like to focus on my own game and not ruin other people's games. You know what they say? If you take a point away from another player, it's like you gaining a point. You ever yeah, hear that phrase? Why would I take a point away from another player when you could do it for me? And then I could just kind of don't sneak act into like the you wind. know that I'm going to do that for you. Whatever. You don't. <laughs> it's not like so, like you're not that sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even take a look at like Seven Wonders. There's so many different things you think about in that, as, as you like to say, the mitt of cards that you get. There's so many mm-hmm. things you're thinking about. Am I going to go for science? If Once I start going for science, are people going to be you know, taking the science away from me? Do I want to be the guy that has all the resources so people are paying me money? Maybe I just want to buy a bunch of civiliz- civilization cards so I can make a ton of points that way. There's so mm-hmm. many things you're thinking about while drafting that it just, yeah. I mean, even take a look at like Trailblazers. You're drafting two cards. You're able to do two different things or you're able to get those two cards and just do a variety of things with it. Mm-hmm. That one doesn't feel so much like a drafting game because I never ever look at the cards and think I'm not passing this to Bob. Like it is a hundred percent what's good for me. Like there's just no way to look at somebody else's board and not you know choose not to send something to them. The, but it still provides you with options. Yes, you have options. That's what makes it interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Drafting games are just more more and more options. You know, you get a, a list of options. You got to pick the best one that you want to do. And sometimes you mm-hmm. got to pivot. Sometimes you don't. Yeah. Drafting yeah, is fun. Like, I like it. And, uh, and it's a wonderful world. That's very much like, oh, come on. I need the card that I want. Like there's this huge yep. deck of cards and you're hoping for the card you want. Yeah. Yep. That's a good one too. All right. Next up, I have drawing. Uh, I considered not putting this one on there, but there's a lot of drawing games that I enjoy. So you know, Pictionary. I was raised on Pictionary. We played a lot of that. That's fun. And then, of course, Telestrations is a version of Pictionary, which is a lot of fun. Um, and then I had this game, Doodle Quest, where you would... Uh, have you ever played Doodle Quest? Mm, no. Nope. It's really fun. It's a kid's game, but I enjoy it. it you have this um, picture that you're looking at. So the picture's in the middle of the table. It's like it's all underwater themed. So like, let's say there's a bunch of fish out there. And the goal of the this round is to circle all the fish. Sounds easy, right? But you have a piece of, you have a um, a uh, clear, it's a clear, what's it called? It's a clear piece of plastic, like a hard like plastic that you can write on that's completely clear. And so you have to circle on your clear plastic the fish, but you don't put it on top of the actual picture. You circle it, you're trying to guess where the fish are in the picture. Or maybe you're trying to weave a line so that you're not touching any of the fish, something like that. And then you take your, at the end, after everyone's drawing, you take your clear plastic and you overlay it over the picture and you see how accurate you are and you get points for whatever, you know, how many fish you circled, how many fish you didn't touch, something like that. It's fun. You don't have to draw a picture. You just have to, but there is drawing. Surprisingly enough, I don't think I like this mechanic that much, even though I like a game like Telestrations. Part of the fun of Telestrations, though, is you just going through and seeing how it's just degraded over time. As soon as you said drawing, I was like, how is that a mechanic? And then I thought about, um, have you ever played like the Jackbox games on like the TV or whatever everyone does like on their phone? And there's Drawful or whatever. So like that's what makes me think of it. 
and I'm just terrible at drawing. And then you pair me trying to draw on like a cell phone. It's just, <laughs> it's just finger. awful. Yeah. It's just like, that's the, the one time in my life where I'm like, man, I really wish I had a stylist is that particular time, but it doesn't happen that frequently. If it's in a party game form, cool. But I also think of games like Treasure Island, that Matago game that you end up actually drawing its dry erase on the board and you're trying to find his treasure. Do you do you know what I'm talking about? You, do you remember mm-hmm. seeing this game a while ago? Mm-hmm. It, people didn't seem to love it because there was a certain... You had to be within a certain tolerance of error and stuff like that. But even something like that, the concept seemed cool. It just didn't seem like it was well-received. Yeah. I I would say drawing is a fun mechanic in a party game. And, and yeah. that's it. And it has to be enjoyable, even if the drawings are really, really bad. If you need to draw well... Like um, Railroad Inc., it's not a drawing game, but you do have to draw either a railroad or a road. And I strongly dislike that because it's so hard to draw that that out. And like the pictures are, I wish they had a shorthand, which I use. I use just a line or a double line. We'll even take like uh, Cartographers, which is uh, like a flip and write game mm-hmm. that you're drawing out a map. The key that they give you for the different types of terrain are actually pretty simple and i like that game so yeah maybe i do like drawing yeah i mean i mean i wouldn't consider those drawing games i would just consider that you're marking them as a as a tile type you know uh what's another one the um I mean, patchwork. Them. patchwork rolling right is really bad because you draw the patchworks out there but it doesn't matter what you draw it's dumb really bad it's funny you should bring up patchwork we're gonna get on a side tangent here uh, so my wife and I, we went on that trip and we hit up a game store at, in Minneapolis and they had patch patchwork express. And my wife goes, what is patchwork express? I go, oh, it's patchwork except faster. She goes, isn't that game like 20 minutes? I go, yeah, but apparently you can play it in 10. She goes, who <laughs> wants that? I was like, I don't know, but I bet you a bunch of people are just like, ooh, I can get patchwork faster. Sign me up for that. I mean, maybe if I, I imagine it's a lighter version of the same game. You know, if you don't already own Patchwork, it'd be a good gift. I don't know. For like that, the Patchwork can be yeah. such a fast game anyway. Just like, yeah, I love how she's like, like, why? Yeah, <laughs> I agree. And don't yeah. get the Patchwork rolling right. It's terrible. All right. And I love Patchwork. But besides the point. All right. Next mechanic, events. So events would be like, Maybe this round an event happens and oftentimes it's a deck of cards where you flip it over and ooh, it triggered this event or it triggered this event. I am not a fan of events. I can't think of any other way it would be. So events are usually like where something random happens to the entire table. So Orleans has events at the beginning of each round. You flip over the event tile and this is a, a, a rule for this round. It could be good, could be bad bad but it affects everybody i don't mind it in orleans because it's a set number like you know exactly what you're going to get there's no you use them all so there's no randomness to it as far as like what's going to come up and what's not i know like kate may had events i strongly disliked that one i was going to bring that up because i knew how much you disliked because some of it was good and some of it was bad and some of it was dependent on where you had placed stuff on the board some of it could it was good like and it could be really good for you if you could take advantage of it but if you couldn't then it was useless yeah. so it was just it was just totally random where like orleans is very much like kind of affects everybody at the same time 
Yeah, I guess I don't feel strongly one way or another about it. Sometimes I think it's implemented well, and other times I think it's not necessarily implemented as best as it could. Kate May is a prime example. I don't think the events in that game help the game be good, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I I I don't think it I don't think it makes the game bad, but I also don't doesn't I I also don't think it does the game any sort of favors in a positive way, just because of how really random they are there are times where you get one you're like oh sweet this is perfect for me and it's not good for anyone else and then other times like one person gets screwed over more than another person yeah that that can be it can lead to feel bads for sure uh clank legacy and i I don't think this is a spoiler because they're in the first the first episode but um or the first game they have events within the adventure deck so it's a deck builder each round like new cards come out that you can purchase and within that deck of cards is event cards that come up and affect everybody um and i thought they just made the game a little bit more fiddly you know oh this is yeah. this happens and it's very random if it comes up and it, it didn't bother me in the same way that kate may bothered me it just added an extra element that just made it like okay stop what we're doing get this event you know it was fine i didn't mind it but i didn't think it needed it either sure well, not my favorite mechanic all right follow follow mechanic so this is often um, used with like action. So like I choose this action and then everyone follows it. So Puerto Rico, um, Ares Expedition, uh, Race to the, for the Galaxy. Those are all where I choose this action. Everybody else does it. Maybe slightly not as good, you know? Yeah, it's fine. I thought I liked this quite a bit, and I know in, like, Ares Expedition, I think that was one of the things I liked that it pulled that from, like, Race for the Galaxy. But I've started, like, the more I've played them, it tends to be this thing where you really want this person to take this action, you really take this, and you take this other action, then they don't take it, so then you're just like, Earth is another one we played recently. Which I actually like it in Earth quite a bit, um, surprisingly enough. So maybe I do like it? I don't know. I think it's fine. It's fine, right? I like it. I I don't like I don't love it in Aries Expedition. I just don't find that it's that interesting because sure. you've got a set of of actions that you can choose from. I think there's five of them. So we could all choose a totally different one. We could do them all, or we could all choose the same one, and that's the only one we're going to do this round. It doesn't really. It doesn't feel like it matters. We're like Puerto Rico. You've got you've got actions. They're like. Um, cardboard tokens out and you're going to draft them so now it's not available for everybody else for their next round i think that's more interesting i think puerto rico does it better rising sun's another one you i i hate rising sun i don't hate it but like the more and more i've yeah i'm okay on rising sun though when you first talked about the action selection uh portion of things or the follow mechanic the first thing i thought of was roll for the galaxy and how I always end up getting like screwed over with my dice rolls on the actions. Because then you put them on the different actions that you're like the strength of what you're going to do. And then everyone reveals. And if no one picked that action, then you just wasted your actions. Yeah. Stuff like that. It leads to some feel bads in those particular instances. But like a game like Earth, I really like. And maybe that's because somebody picks, we all do it, and everyone can do it. You know, there's not a portion of that action. You might, it might be weaker. You know, you might only be able to get five dirt or three dirt, but you at least get something. And then if you start noticing people are starting to take the same action over and over again, you'll then you can kind of just start planning for it. 
based on the cards that they have. So I think in those ways, when you can, it's a little, slightly more predictable. I like it, but in something like Roll, it just uh, doesn't resonate with me. Yeah, I I don't like Roll for the Galaxy at all. Um, I agree. I think I like this action when I like it in Earth because it's going to benefit everybody all the time. Earth is one of those games where everybody goes around and they can choose whatever action they want. There's no limit. Like if you choose blue action, my turn, I can choose blue action again. Or I can choose orange. We could all go around the table and choose the exact same action wouldn't be a lot you probably wouldn't you know because of the way that you've done that enough you're good but i so i like it there with earth it it was good but i typically like it when you have you're doing more action drafting so that way all of the actions are we're going to go through all of the actions or at least majority of them you know maybe not all of them but the majority of them and so they'll all get done so i like a little bit better in that since then in like race or roll for the galaxy all right Next up, I have grid coverage. So this is, think like uh, polyomino games would fall underneath this, Castles of Burgundy, anything where you're taking tiles and putting them in a specific order. I would even say like maybe Castles of Mad King Ludwig. It's not grid, you know, because they're all various shapes and you can kind of put them in different spots. You're not locked into the spot they're going, but you kind of, there is some kind of rules around where you place it. So, I mean, I love this mechanic. I love polyominoes. I love Castle Burgundy. I love tile lane and any kind of sense of tile lane games. I, I think I, I love almost all of them. I was going to say that's like one of your, I think that's like your top favorite mechanic is probably tile lane games. So mm. even a game like Planet Unknown, right? You have yeah. the different grid covering up. I, I enjoy it quite a bit too. I wouldn't have necessarily thought it was a mechanic that I loved. But the more I think about the games that I really like, it is one of those mechanics that tends to stand out. Castles of Burgundy being a prime example. You know, Planet Unknown. Uh, We just talked about Patchwork and Patchwork Express, those types of games. I do very much enjoy those games partly because of that. Even in A Feast for Odin, when you're, you know, covering up that grid and everything like that, you have some rules that you got to follow. I even enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's I like I mean I pretty much like this mechanic and everything. I can't think of anything that I don't like. You know, even if I don't like the game, I still like the this part of the mechanic. Is tile laying a mechanic as well? Is that different than grid covering up mechanic? Um yeah, I think we could probably put them together because I think of like grid coverage would be like Castles of Burgundy, Planet Unknown, where there's you're limited to this space, right? Sure. Yep. Where Tile Lane would be like uh, Carcassonne, you know. Let's talk about Tile Lane. I know it's not. It's in the um, Tile. We'll call ooh, it Tile we're, Placement. Ooh, we're going to skip here. We're going to diverge into Tile Lane. So every grid movement is a Tile Lane get, or every grid. What is it? Covered. What did you call it? Gr- grid coverage. Grid coverage. Whatever. Dumb name. So every grid coverage game is probably a tile lane game, but not every tile lane game is grid coverage game. Yeah, I I would think so. I think that's how you describe it, right? So like I would say it doesn't have to be a tile necessarily. So I'd consider Trailblazers a tile placement game, you know, because you're placing it, you're taking a, an, an item and placing it in a specific It's because way. it's not a tile technically, but it's it's still it I when I wrote it up, I did it as like grid or uh, route building, route building, building yeah. Route, yeah. But but you're really laying tiles, like you're laying a card as if it were a tile, to then create a route. So both of them, I think, it would be both. So by that rationale, you can say 
Cartographers is a drawing game as well because you have to draw it in. I'm just saying. No, no. Um, <laughs> I, although I haven't played Cartographers, but no. Unless just, unless no. your art matters, then it's not a drawing game. It does. You got to make sure you're drawing the correct terrains. Yeah, but th- you could just write this terrain, this terrain, and be fine. You can't. There's no such thing as this terrain. Whatever there's it is, like I hills. There's mountains. There's the right lakes. Hills. You could color it in with green. You could say this is green. This is blue. Yeah, the drawings don't matter. I do. It made me think of the drawing thing. Also made me think of. Uh, wow, I'm having some ADD moments. It really made me think of uh, the endless winter. The um, <laughs> the rolling right. No, the the cave paintings. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I wanted to play that. You didn't buy yeah, I'm it. Out. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah, no. <laughs> All right, let's talk about tiling. <laughs> okay, so tiling, I think of yeah. like Carcassonne, obviously, is a popular yeah. one. I think of anything that you're you're laying down adjacent items, right, to then connect with other ones that you've already laid down. You know, yeah. probably, I would say Castle Bank King Ludwig would probably fall more in tile placement than it would grid coverage because there isn't a limited space for it. Yes. I, would I mean, although that. if you play with the moats, that does limit it. So it could be. I don't know. Castles of Mad King Ludwig, I think, is very much tile laying as opposed to grid coverage. Yeah. Um, Arc Nova, that'd be grid coverage because you're limited to a certain space. You know, you've got this grid that you're filling in. Yeah. So now whenever we do reviews, are we going to have to say this is grid coverage instead of tile placement? Because I would have no. expected just to say it's tile placement. Yeah, we don't need to have we don't not need to pull out all the, the nuances here. OK, I'm just saying, you know, we're just. You know, you made you made this list, so <laughs> just all the things that that we like. You know, I do like tile lane games. I know I I can't think of a tile lane game, even like ones that I don't love. I still don't mind playing. They're just it's just fun to to lay out your board. You know, it's just the idea of like take a Carcassonne where you start with nothing, you have no board, and then all of a sudden you create a board and it's distinctly different. Like, it's very, you know, just based on the randomness that they come out, like, your Carcassonne's going to look different. You know, I'm currently playing with my wife, uh, Dorf Romantique. We're playing oh. that currently. And the same kind of thing where you start off with nothing, you're drawing tiles, and then you're just creating this, you know, this world and everything like that. There's just something about it. And I know with that being a cooperative tile laying game, you're actually interested in doing it and playing it. Be- and I think that's because it's the tiling aspect of it. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to hear what you have to say. I I would play that one. I like like Carcassonne is a great example. I think Carcassonne as a game is just fine. I I don't love it. It's just fine. But I have fun playing it every time because it's just fun to like match up those tiles. You know, even dominoes. We play a lot of dominoes as a kid. That would be a tile play placement game where you're you're laying them down and matching them up. It's satisfying to complete it. It's satisfying yeah. to put those pieces together. Yep, it can't I agree. Go wrong. All right. Next up, grid movement. So this would be like scythe and anchor are good ones, you know, where you uh, eclipse, you know, you're you've got a grid out there and you can move, you know, adjacent so many spaces. Yeah, I don't think there's much to that. I mean, in order to understand movement, the only other way you could do it outside of grids or squares is like Warhammer 40K where you're getting tape measures and moving things specific you know, distances that way. So I think it's fine. I think most games who do it, I, I don't 
I haven't found a game that is just like, oh man, I really hate how they implemented this grid movement. Like it doesn't. Or it's just really sucks. interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it's it's really yeah. just a way. You're that's exactly. It. It's a way to limit how much you can move around the board. Yeah, pretty much. And in a, a better way than getting out a ruler and measuring. So yeah, it's a very functional mechanic that is very useful and very important, but doesn't get us excited. No, it's, I love how you said. Uh, there's nothing like, ooh, oh my god, this grid movement is so special. Let's talk about this. <laughs> Said no one ever. <laughs> yeah, fair so enough. good, yeah. All right, hand management. Now, as I was writing up my review for Challengers, one of the descriptions was like hand management, and I was like, no. I mean, technically, I guess, yeah, because you do add cards to your hand and you do remove them, so technically you are managing a hand. I think of more of hand management where you have a hand of cards and you're choosing which ones to play. Uh, there's a, That's used in a lot of games. The game that I can think of, again, that most people will know with hand management is Ticket to Ride. You know, prime example. Or even like Alhambra, you're managing the currency in your hand in order to buy those different tiles. You know, that's managing your hand of cards. Yeah. Century, Spice Road, Golem Edition, you're... Yep. you're 100% hand management. You're just drawing cards to add to your hand. You, you could play them, um, you know, similar to Concordia. You can play them in any order. You can pick them up whenever you want. But yeah, you're managing your hand of cards and you're trying to make an efficient hand of cards. Different than deck building. You know, deck building, you're building a deck and then you're drawing five of them. You know, hand hand management, you're, you're managing what's in your hand or it could be what's in your deck, I guess. Mm, I don't know if I would necessarily... I don't think... Hand management and deck building are the same. I don't. I think if you have a deck of cards that you're drawing from and creating a hand, that is a, that is un. It's unlikely to be hand management for me. Hand management mm-hmm. is you have like a tableau of cards that you're buying from and putting into your hand that you can use at a later point or something along those lines. And it's a subtle difference because in deck building, you buy a card and you put in your discard and eventually you're going to draw into it. This is different because there's a lot more strategy. Okay, I'm going to buy this card for two turns from now in order to do this thing that I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually enjoy hand management quite a bit because there tends to be a lot of when do I play this? That timing aspect of when I like dump my cards or use this specific card that I want to use that I've been building up to because I know what I can do with the different cards in my hand. I enjoy it actually quite a bit. Yeah. I agree. It's it's a it's a fun one with a lot of strategy. All right. Hidden movement. So hidden movement is usually a one versus all where one person is hiding or maybe all are hiding and we're trying to get them. You typically it's the one that's hiding and the rest of us are trying to get them, but they they can yep. do it in reverse. Um it's definitely not a, a genre I play very much of. Mind management's a popular one, Spectre Ops. There's there's been quite a few. I, I kind of struggle with this one a little bit. I I don't particularly love it. I agree. I've tried a handful of those types of games. Like I got Specter Ops. I know I played it with you and I think Jeremy played it and I was that the person who was hiding and you guys were trying to find me. Mm-hmm. There there is something to be said about the person who's hiding how how much tension you feel when somebody's getting close to you. And you're just like, "Oh my god, they're so close." Like, "Can I be slick and like get out of this particular situation?" So I think from that perspective, I think people tend to have a lot of fun. And then even the people who are hunting, I think, can have a lot of fun determining how to, like, close the net in on the particular person. But it just, yeah, any of the games I've played, I've never been like, oh, man, I love this. They've always been like, how was it? Yeah, 
it was fine. Yeah. You know, it just does. Yeah. It's not the type of it's not the type of game I'm looking for when I'm trying to play board games. I agree. It's it's not my style either. All right. Next up, we have hidden roles. I also added to this traitor games because usually if it's a hidden role, one of you is a traitor. So I I don't know if there's any other hidden role games. Oh yeah, there are there are other hidden role yeah. games that are not traitor games. Okay, so first we'll do hidden roles. Um, obviously any kind of social deduction, they all have hidden roles. Um, yep. Ankh Morpor is one with hidden roles. You have a hidden role, and then your role is your win game condition, but nobody knows what it is, and so different people have different end game or ways to win the game, and so you have to know what they are and kind of prevent, assume that everybody has all of them and work at preventing them from happening, and that's fun. That it's the same as uh. I the version I played was Nanty Narking, which yeah. is the it's I think it just re implements Ankhmorport. That's the version I played, and yeah, it's the same thing. Like you, everyone has their own distincts. Like you said, yeah, you have your own win strategy, and you're just you're trying to determine what it is based on the moves that they're making. So it's interesting. It's it's an it's an interesting mechanic. Yeah, it's not typical. It's not very common, but it, it can be it can be a lot of fun. Especially yeah. as you're more familiar with the game. Trader games, I think they are more, you have a hit and roll and one of you is the trader or a couple of you are the trader. I, I, mean, I tend to enjoy almost all of those games, although we've played them a lot for a long time. And so I do feel like I'm getting burned out on these, but uh, but I still enjoy them. Like if I play them every once in a while now, they're, they're fun. So one, See, one of my favorite games of all time has a trader mechanic and that's Dead of Winter. And... Mm-hmm. I th- I really like playing that game best when you there's a very good chance there's a trader. So typically you have a bunch of, you know, roll cards that you divvy out. And the way it normally says in the book is like if you have four players, get eight roll cards and one trader card. The way we do it is if there's four players, it's four roll cards and one trader card. So it's very likely that you'll have a trader. So you're just trying to figure out who it is. You know, mm-hmm. in the social deduction games, I like accusing people right away. But then when you call somebody out who's a bad liar, it does kind of tend to feel bad. That's happened to me with a couple of my friends. At one point, one of my friends actually pulled me off to the side. He's like, can you not do that again? And I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry, dude. You just got to be a better liar. He's like, no, that was not fun for me. All right. Yeah, sure. I guess. Yeah, I won't do that. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So now, so now when I play I'm games where you don't have to lie are the best. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Just like Time Bomb or whatever, right? Like you. Yeah. Sometimes you want to tell the truth. Or and sometimes, sometimes you want to you lie. Want, I like it because sometimes you are the good guy and you still want to lie, which I yeah. think is really good. Yeah. Everyone's deceitful in that game. Mm-hmm. It's good. I know it's fun. It's fun trying to figure out who's lying, who's not lying, that sort of thing. You know, that deception murder in Hong Kong. One of my favorite uh, social deduction moments was when you were the forensic scientist and I was the killer and you just kept hitting this one like thing you were getting so pissed and you just you kept looking at me and i was like stop looking at me they're gonna know it's me like (laughs) you were getting so frustrated that they weren't picking up the clues it was awesome i love those games (laughs) yeah because my weapon was or the the something was kick like they died by a kick and nobody was guessing that it was so hard so good oh man that was so much fun all right, next I have highest lowest scoring. Um, this is used, so you let's say you score a few different ways. You score in each different region. Maybe you score different ways. One of them is Prodigal's Club. Another one is um, 
tigers and euphrates so you score for each color but your score is just going to be the lowest out of all of those so whoever has the highest lowest score wins and man this is just a tough mechanic i have such a tough time with this because a lot of those games like you kind of build up an engine and you're doing really good in one area doesn't matter like you need to stop and focus on the area that you have the least amount and it's just not fun to do that (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those things that I can see for you specifically you don't like because when we talked last week about scoring, one of the things you talked about was hidden scoring and how you love in a game where like maybe you score two points in this, two points in this, but then one point, one thing you score like 80 points in and you get this massive amount of points in this one particular area because you Mm -hmm. hyper focused on it. You cannot do that in these games. It's not a mechanic used that often. The only game I can think of that I personally have played is Prodigal's Club. Unless there's something else that I'm missing. I really like it because I love the fact that you can you can be really good in something, but that doesn't mean you're gonna win. You need to make sure you're doing you're focusing on all the areas equally. You want to make sure you're doing them all as best as you can. I really I really enjoy that in Prodigals Club, especially when you start playing with all three of the little mini games in it. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, I I I like it too. Like it, it's tough. I like it as a challenge. I think it's really interesting. I struggle with it, but it's also really interesting, and I I do enjoy it. I think it adds an interesting amount of tension in the game of making sure you're doing everything equally well. Yeah, beer and bread. That's the other one that I played recently that has that. I have not played that yet. All right, next up we have ooh, I cut you choose. This is this is fun. I taught my kids this when they were young. Like, all right, you you cut. They're like, I'll cut it, and then you can have this other half. And I'm like, no, no, no. I cut. You choose is the rule. That's what you do. And then neither of them want to cut. <laughs> it's just a good rule of life. Like with kids, I cut. You choose. And it's a fun mechanic. Like, what's what's one? Colorado, Colorado, Colorado is one that has that. I think Castles of the Mad King Ludwig is kind of a version of I Cut You Choose because you're deciding where to place it and then everyone else gets first choice if you know where to buy it. See, I don't know if it's... Maybe it is I Cut You Choose. It just doesn't feel like... Mad, specifically, I'm talking about Mad, Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Like when you're placing those tiles out. It just doesn't... It doesn't quite feel that way. What is that pizza game? New York... New York Pizza? New York Slice. New York Slice, yeah. So, like, games like that. Honestly, I've never really played those games that often because it's not something that I particularly care to play. It's one of those mechanics that I'm just like, mm, I don't know. Because it's, like, you, it's hard to sometimes weigh the options of what's good and what's not good when you're not familiar with the game. Yeah, there's a lot in this list here that I haven't played. It's not a very popular mechanic for me, for me at least. So I haven't done this a lot. I think it can be fun if, if you've got a good sense of the game, right? If you know what the other person wants, you can give them one card that gives them what you want, and then you can put everything else on your side so that they'll let you have the big stuff, and then they get the one little thing. I, I think it's, I think it's a really interesting mechanic that's that's very underutilized. So it hasn't been done very often. You know, there's there's a small list of games here, and I haven't really even heard of very many of them. So maybe. Maybe it's because as they people just don't like it or it just hasn't been done. Who knows? Well, it's that idea of like your kids. Nobody wants to make the cut. They want to be the one that chooses. So yeah. making that cut is more is more difficult than making the choice. Yeah. 
New York slice. That's what it is. Is that what we ended up saying it was? I don't know. New York pizza slice or whatever that game is. People know who we're talking about. What we're talking about. <laughs> All right. Next up, ladder climbing. What's the old game? Uh, is it Skippo that has the ladder climbing? Or it's there's there's a game called Spite and Alice that's based on like a basic card game where you have to put your one out and then you put your two out and then you put your three out and you work your way up and you gotta try to get cards out of your hands so you can draw more cards to that to get the card that you need to make that that stack higher. I had fun playing a lot that game a lot when I was younger. So taking a look at ladder climbing, when you said that in my head, I was like, what is a game that implements ladder climbing? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. So then looking at it, like Scout is a prime example. You're just trying to do one up better than the previous person. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's an example of ladder climbing. Let's see what else there is. There's not a ton on here that I've ever played before. Like, just taking a look at this list. I have Teach You. I haven't played it yet. Yeah, the most well-known game is Scout. Other everything else, just I didn't. I have never played any of these games. <laughs> Oink, uh, Oink has a mask. Mask Men. That's kind of a ladder climbing. You have to. It's similar in the Scout that you have to have one more card than the other person. Hmm. Interesting. I think of more ladder climbing like you play the ones and then you play twos and then you play threes. You know, you kind of work your way up. Yeah, that's the way I thought of it too. Yeah. Yeah, traditional card games. You know, but you could. I would think of that more as traditionally. Ladder climbing opposed to, um, you know, scout where you're one-upping the next person. Skip bow. That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> Isn't skip bow the game that you have to, like, play a one and then? Yes. Oh, man, it's been years since I've played that game, so I'm not 100% sure. But, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, there's not very many that I played. I thought it was more of a popular mechanic. But, yeah, that's a, there's, it's a lot of little card games is what you'll see that. Yeah, pretty much. It's the card game category. All right, next up I have Legacy Game. You know Ooh. I love Legacy Games. Oh, <laughs> if man, it's got yeah. a Legacy version, like, I love it. Like, even Machi Koro, a game that's, like, probably a, uh, we have five for me or something like that. Legacy, so fun. I just love it. And I'm it's not recommending the- Machi Koro as a, as a game you should go out, I'll go out and play or anything, but it's still just a fun game. There's something about playing a legacy game, knowing that once you go through it, you're going to have a story unfold. And then once you're done, you're kind of done. There are a bunch of games that are trying to implement ways in which you can continue playing afterwards. You know, I think of like Betrayal Legacy, those types of things. Mm -hmm. These games for me and our group, it feels like they're slightly more difficult to get to the table with your gaming friends than it is with just like. For you, you have Max. For me, I have Ashley. So we're able to get through these legacy style games. But some of these games I would really like to play with, you know, you, you know, Jeremy, you know, Ashley just have like a nice group of four people playing through some of these things to experience more that the game has to offer. Mm -hmm. Making decisions and those decisions having permanent impact on the game. There's just something about it that I really like. And it just it that permanent change ripping a card putting a sticker down this is no longer a thing in the game that sort of stuff i really enjoy and then typically legacy style games for the most part have a compelling story or at least try to give you a compelling story yeah so i think that's part of it too they're just fun like you get to open up new things you have to earn them you have to play the game you know like 
a lot of people complain, oh, you only play it like 12 to 18 times with the pandemic. But yeah, but that's more times than you typically would play a game. And it forces yeah. you like you're going to play it, play it, play it, play it, play it again and again and again. And I, I love it. I love legacy games. I I think they're fun. I love stickering cards. I love opening new things. I like hitting up, adding new rules to the rule book. It's just a really, really fun experience. I would recommend I mean, I haven't played all of the legacy ones and, and I don't necessarily know which one I'd recommend for everybody. I mean, Pandemic is the great one to start because it's good. It's a good family style game, but it's also fun for adults. You know, Machi Coral is a great family one. Plank Legacy is a really good higher aged one, you know, but they're 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 fun. There's just something extremely exciting about playing a legacy style game. Just like you take Ticket to Ride Legacy, just the fact that it's Ticket to Ride and it's a legacy version. We're both like, yes. We want this game. You know, we want to play this game. You know, whenever I hear there's a legacy version, like instantly my ears perk up and I'm like, what's this? Another legacy game for me to try and play? Mm-hmm. Because it it's the permanent impact that you do. That's what it is. I love campaign games. I love, I love developing the story and playing, you know, through a campaign. But you can just reset and play through the campaign again. In a mm-hmm. legacy game, typically you can't. The decisions you make matter. Yeah. You know, it was a really, really good one was the um, Rise of Fenris, the Scythe legacy campaign it, or it was a legacy game or campaign. It was an it was expansion. More of a campaign. Yep. It was more of a campaign. It was expansion. But you open things up as you went and it was really fun. You know, you didn't change the board. You didn't sticker any of your original stuff. So it was kind of cool. They're really I'm surprised that we haven't seen more of those. But basically in a, a big expansion that you get to do more of this, the game. It was really, really fun. So, like, a prime example is, we're my like I said, my wife and I are playing uh, Dorf Romantique, and in that game, you're unlocking stuff. You unlock achievements, and you're opening up new boxes of content, so it gives me that similar feel as, you know, a legacy-style game where you get to crack open a box, and you have this new thing, but you're also not necessarily eliminating anything. Although, yeah. once you hit certain achievements, they just kind of go away, and then you're focusing on a new set of achievements. So, in that in that way... It just feels different, though. You know, it feels different because it's not it's not the permanent changes. You know, like when you're scratching off cards in Pandemic Legacy Season Zero or Season Two, when you're, you know, scratching off, doing the scratch offs on the on those things, that's a permanent Mm -hmm. change. Like, that's the way it's going to be when they make you the first time you tear a card and you're just like, can I do this? Tear this card. And, you know, for me, like that's that's blasphemy. (laughs) <laughs> like I sleeve my cards. You don't tear a card up, you know. Uh-huh. But I, yeah, I love, I love a legacy game. I love them. Yeah, they're fun, and I, I want more. I think they're hard to design. You know, they're very complex. They're very big. You kind of have to go all these different routes with it, and but they, they can be really good. Like even um, Machi Coral is a very simple legacy game. Each each time you pl- add something new to it, it's a very simple little tiny component with an extra little rule. And it's not particularly great, but it was a lot of fun playing it. Opening things up, seeing what happens next. You, you, you play through the whole thing. It, it is just a good time. Yeah, there's got to be a lot involved in developing that game. There's a lot of nuance to it. There's a lot of connecting all the different points and then making sure everything kind of comes back into fold, but you still have games that feel different from different groups of people. There's got to be a lot involved in it. And I give a lot of credit to like Matt Leacock, Rob Davio, the people who have like really, you know, been on the forefront of developing these legacy style games. Um, 
the things that they can do in like uh those legacy aspects i gotta give them a lot of credit for like the it's just some cool cool design space all right that got us through quite a bit of our list i think we're halfway through the alphabet what, what? Uh, yeah through I, the I alphabet but not through the list yeah we'll see all yeah, right well that's all right we'll, we'll continue this yeah. so that's our show for this week Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week. We'll continue this list. Please leave us uh, a review. Help us out and like us on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, send us any of your questions or comments to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.